0: may I make it also very clear how genuinely grateful I am for the privilege of being here in this church. I have only the happiest memories and it's just, um, you know, we are family and this is parts of the, your natural family you, you seem to enjoy or appreciate a little more than others. This is one of those for me. I've always been treated with such dignity and Such grace that I was saying this morning, the Bible says to receive someone else that God sends as if you receive in Christ with hospitality. And this church has made hospitality, they should get the medal for it. They're just so hospitable and we're so grateful for it. So for those who don't know me, my name is Ed Trout. I'm husband of one wife, 45 years. And I have three children and I have 10 grandkids. I was born and raised in a city called Cape Town, South Africa, for those who don't know me. My mother exiled the Holocaust, being a German-Jewess, and got in a refugee ship at the age of eight or nine years old. Ended up in Cape Town, that was the last ship that was going, sponsored by the Jews of Cape Town. So I'm what's known as a born-again Jewish African-American. Ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. I was born again when I was 13, and for me, it wasn't escaping hell as much as getting to know and being introduced to this most amazing Savior. The last year and a half has been a wonderful new experience for me with him. Uh, He told me some years ago that he loves the gray years, and I couldn't understand at the time, but now I realize that all our lives we are chasing something. And when we are gray, we have more time for him without any agenda or desperation. And I honestly can say the last year or year and a half, I've been communing with the Lord on a whole different level and enjoying him so much more and discovering the goodness and how wonderful he really is. We are captivated and framed by our society and lack of understanding and all the pressure of life that we form all the wrong ideas. Pastor Steph said we focus so on the negative. And that's what I came this morning to share with you to refresh your mind about who he really is. The marvelous, wonderful God that is kind, slow to anger, quick to forgive, and his mercies endure forever. His love never fails. This is the God that loves you, that made you in his image. You're sitting here with certainly difficulties and challenges, and when these are remedied, you'll have new ones. You'll always have difficulty, and I know this for a fact because Jesus said so. He said in this world you will have many, many troubles, not some, many, but I said this at That you know that I've overcome the world So don't be focused on your many troubles Focused on the unchanging living God Who has always been good If you begin to recite what the Lord already has done Then you will find out how good God is Can you say amen to that? All right. I would like to teach the word from the book of Matthew chapter 11 today And it reads like this if you will turn in your Bibles Or I use my iPhone because that's what Jesus uses He is, I am that I am, so I figured iPhone and iMac and iPad would be all the same category. This world has just come through a difficult, and we have the remnant of it, COVID and different things that have, we blame everything on COVID today, everything, even the lack of staff at at McDonald's is a COVID apparently. But either way, everything is COVID. But it really has shaken the world. Someone who travels a lot, myself, I've seen it repeatedly. And uh, there's so many different prophecies about uh, different things. But what I've heard from the Lord, this is going to be a wonderful year. His mercy is extended not only to the Christians, but to the entire world at this time. He's kind, and God is always wanting to do us good, not harm. In fact, you, you love John 3, 16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, That whoever believed in him would not die, but have life. But the next verse is my favorite. For God sent his son into the world not to condemn. So when prophets get up to be condemning, it is very frightening to me. God corrects those he loves, but correction is not condemnation or negative. He's a positive God even when he corrects. And he loves you intensely. I cannot begin to tell you how much he loves you. And so in we read from matthew chapter 11 and verse 1 it says after this jesus finished instructing his 12 disciples he went on from there to preach and teach in the towns and when john who was in prison heard about these deeds of the messiah he sent his disciples and let me just pause a moment and try and sketch this picture jesus himself spent most ...of his time in the Galilean area. For those who have not been with me to Israel, you are missing out. I go December month from the 5th to the 15th this year, for example. And I teach you at the spots. We track the life of Jesus. He himself spent most of his time in Galilee. Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. A different climate, different atmosphere. A lot of blue-collar people live there. And that's where he spent most of his time. Herod, at the time of Jesus, who Jesus called a jackal had built a palace in Tiberias, which where Jesus never ever went, one of the single town he never went to, because it's built on a lot of graves, and Jews are not li- or prophets don't, are not allowed to walk in graves, and so he was offensive, this King Herod, to the Jews for doing that, but he had John the Baptist in prison there. And so it's around this Lake of Galilee, and that we read here, and Jesus is teaching different towns all around Gal- Galilee, and John the Baptist now sends word with his disciples to ask him, in verse three, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Are you the one? Now I'm gonna stop and talk to you about John because he was an extraordinary person on every level. His mother also is one of my favorite heroines of the Bible. Let me tell you, the older I've become, the more I've noticed that women have always been God's secret weapon. It is uncanny how every time God did something, from Genesis to Revelation, there was a woman in the mix. A woman is always used by God, and I say secret because the men were too stupid to recognize it. It really is it's sad. And his approach to women were very different to the rest of the people around him. But stay with me now. So here we have John the Baptist, and he's announced, this is how it works for me. In a little town up on a hill, uh, just a few miles from Galilee up quite high on a hill a, a town that has no significant value no industry a tiny village where a little lady, a lady called Mary 15, 16 year old girl is walking she meets an angel tells her you're going to have a baby talk about a prophecy that's supposed to be confirming are you out of your mind? that didn't confirm one lick to her she didn't go oh yeah I was thinking I was going to have a baby made by God inside of me while I'm a virgin that's what I was thinking it was just confirming what I knew no her response to the Lord was, let it be to me according to your will. Whatever you want, I want. That's what she said to him. But he said the same time the angel said, and look, your cousin is six months with child, Elizabeth. Now, they didn't have phones or telegrams, so she didn't know about that. And she's about 15 or 16, and Elizabeth's about 40. So they're not close in age. Uh, it seemed, could have, one could have been almost a mother in many ways and age-wise. And this Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah were from the same noble bloodline. And they lived south of Jerusalem in the Judean hills. Her husband was a Levite, which means he would participate in normal temple duties. He was part of a Division that was sent for every so often to serve for a few weeks at a time. It was during one of those periods that the angel spoke to him in the temple when he was picked to have the incense, and I haven't got time to teach you all that, incense of prayer going up to the Lord. And of course, they use incense to carry prayers because it's the only of the fivefold senses that had not been corrupted by sin. Just helping you Gentiles understand the Jewish ways. Okay, so moving right along. So, so many things I want to tell you. I can't get it all in fast enough in my head when it's going, running 100 miles an hour. So here's this Elizabeth who finally gets pregnant miraculously in a late age. And Mary hears about it. She hasn't gone home yet. The angel's still telling her that she's pregnant. And the scripture says when she hears this, she decides to go and see Elizabeth. Well, it's not like you get in the car and drive over to Louisville. No, it is a serious journey of at least eight, nine days. And the 15-year-old is not going to be allowed by her parents to go. She had to get her parents permission and get the servants and a donkey and food. And and you've got to plan it. Because for Jews, Shabbat or Sabbath is seriously an important day. And it's well planned and, and you have to attend it and celebrate it correctly. So you've got to plan where you're going to do Shabbat going down on that way. Someone you know, somewhere you can stop, all that kind of thing. But she arrives at Elizabeth. Now no one knows she's pregnant. She's only a week or two pregnant. She walks into Elizabeth's home and the first words out of Elizabeth's mouth is, who am I that the mother of my Lord comes to me? Now you must try and picture the scene. Put aside your sweet Lord Jesus story. A 40-year-old woman that's six months pregnant and a little teenager of 16-year-old from, from north, she hasn't seen for a long time, walks in the door, not hello, how are you? How's your mom? Knows who am I? She's overwhelmed prophetically that the the mother of my Lord, nobody knows she's pregnant and already the prophecy is going out about the Son of God. Can you imagine the impact on Mary? She stays there some while with her until right before she gives birth to John. But this Elizabeth, if she's this profound, you know she's already telling John all the time When he's a baby, how important he is. Holding on to him, praying for him, speaking the word of him constantly. This boy had never been to the movies. He did not have a girlfriend. He had no life. He didn't even go bowling, nothing. He was completely dedicated to the plans of God. He came from a Levitical order, and he went to the desert. Now, you must understand, he's a few months older than Jesus. Six months. Yes? Yes? And he, and he goes down to the desert, which in Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level, and the desert would be 1,300 feet below sea level. So it's a whole different climate, and then what had happened was he joined a group called the Hesines. There's, there were many groups in the time of Jesus, and this one particular group were like monks. They wore long white clothes, and they didn't marry, they fasted and prayed a lot, and they, they, would, they were big Baptists. Baptism was a huge thing already amongst the Jews. It's called sanctification through mikvah. Mikvah is, is a holy water that you get cleansed with or signifies a cleansing. If you went to the temple in Jerusalem, there were mikvahs right at the holder gates. You would go through, you'd pay a few cents to go down. This, one stair stair, come up the other side, which is symbolic of a cleansing to go up to the temple. So you're purifying yourself. It was a common thing. But these scenes were so extreme they baptized every single day. They would pray all the time. They were repenting all the time for things. They were writing the scriptures all the time. You may have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's where, that's these people. And they wrote, They were, there are 24 books in the Jewish Bible called the Tanakh. But they only re- copied 23 copies. They would not, do 23 books, they would not do Esther because it didn't mention God in, in the book of Esther. Not a spiritual book. Ma- imagine that. But they did 50 copies of Genesis. And the re- one of the original copies of Genesis was even then a 1,000 years old. So imagine now, right at 70 AD, when the Romans destroy Israel, destroy Jerusalem, these are buried in caves until right before Israel is restored in 1948. So maybe 10 years before that, a little Bedouin, a little shepherd boy, finds them in a cave by accident. 11 caves full of these containers these the ceramic or not ceramic they are clay containers that are sealed with these documents inside while you many of you don't understand the significance of this for us this is what it is these Jews have been scattered throughout the nations Jesus said in Matthew 24 "A more terrible time has never been or will be again and he's talking to the Jews that are about to go into a hellish era of almost 2000 years we know about the the second world war and the holocaust but they were suffering for 2000 years in every nation they went to they were they were pushed out of their nation taking their bibles with them books the huge one book as they would be hard to carry for one person carefully handwritten they were precious precious documents Gone for 2,000 years, no printing press, no way to keep copying, under persecution. They return in 1948, and they find that the same books they were carrying for all these years hadn't lost one letter, because they have original for 2,000 years old, 3,000 years old for Genesis, so that not one letter was lost. God watched over the word through all the persecution and hardship. So you know your Bible is as accurate as accurate can be, because the Lord watches over his word. Do you understand Understand the significance how it affects your life. Now, stay with me. So John the Baptist is raised, and his mother is telling him all the time of, this, of his significance of his life. So he ends up with the Hesines, which are extremists. They write about him being there. And for two years, they're training him. So he's full of baptismal ideas and very extreme scriptures. And these Hesines were always into repentance, expecting the Armageddon, the wars. They were always very doom and gloom, and he got all of that in. So he began to preach. He began to preach to the crowds everywhere he went and he began to baptize, quite normal, a baptism of repentance or purification. This is to you must repent from where you way. His message was to the nation of Israel, get back with God. You've gotten off on a carnal tangent because of the oppressors, because of this regime called the called the, the, these Romans. You need to get back with God so that you can recognize when the Savior is sent. And they asked, because now they're under such pressure, the Jews, that they begin to study. And they find in the book of Isaiah that there's a Savior coming. But the mark of the Savior, according to Isaiah, is that he will do many miracles. Now, John didn't do one miracle, not one. Yet they asked him, are you the one? And he said, no, there's someone coming after me whose sandals I'm not w- worthy to tie. Someone greater than me. And he said, <laughs> he even prophesied over Jesus the same thing. Now, three years go by and he had spoken against this Herod and Herod arrested him and had to behead him because he gave his word to this Salome and now she's in prison about to lose his life. So he sends word to one of his disciples but he can't leave the prison to ask Jesus, are you the one? What, 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 John? Is it really you asking this? Did not you prophesy that he's a savior? Didn't you say that? You've spent your whole life just doing this one mega task of your life, dedicated not to yourself, but to this. You were born for this, and now you, why are you doubting? Why, what makes you think he's not? Stay with me. This is the reason why I'm telling you all this. So Jesus answers him, and I'm glad he did. This is what he said. Speaking like a true Jew, because that was the mark of the Messiah, was that Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you see. He says to him, he says, What you see is that the blind eyes are opened, and the good news is preached to the poor, and the deaf hear, the lame walk. He names all the he named the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear. He covers the entire body. So all these, not one miracle, but many miracles are happening, and the good news. Let me stop and talk about the good news for a moment. It wasn't, a, wasn't an unusual phrase to be used at that time. It was a Roman expression. They would come into a town, the Roman platform was actually the first historical democracy in the world. That's what made them so powerful. They didn't want any king to be the boss that's why when Julius Caesar got so powerful and so popular they executed him because they didn't want someone to be that powerful they wanted to be able to vote him in and vote him out they had to be the people and that's where the democracy came from and so when they came into a into a community or a a country and took it they would free everybody including the slaves they had to be freed within seven years serve out a, a certain time because they wouldn't, there were certain rules they lived by. You didn't know all this. You're looking at me like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and so what they would do when they came into a town or village like Damascus, they'd come in and they'd get on, the, on a platform and they'd call the people together, good news, good news, come hear the good news. The good news is you're free. And so when Jesus said, and the good news is preached to the poor, it is a serious, hefty statement because it's not just for everyone for for the jews it's for the poor those that are downtrodden those that have got no hope the good news i've come to liberate and bring freedom to the oppressed that's what he was saying tell him that good news is preached to the point he turns to then he turns the next verse says he turns to the crowd and said blessed is he that doesn't take an offense on my account or stumble, depends on the translation you're using. I am so glad, (laughs) I am so glad that I don't take an offense and I can't imagine why someone would take an offense at Jesus, why would you take an offense? Here's the reason. Because the gospel is the most wonderful good news ever told and we keep trying to change it to a legalistic religious format. And I'm here to tell you the truth. You're sitting in your life with all your challenges and difficulties and the devil keeps reciting, well, this happened because you did this or you deserve this and always he's pounding you because you're working from the platform of ignorance. If you knew the goodness, go, go and tell them that the blind eyes are open, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Tell them the good news. It's all a positive. I've come to unconditionally bless and set you free. The message is so full of life that John the Baptist couldn't figure it out. Even though he prophesied it, it just didn't make sense to him. The good news. He was so full of life. And so even when Paul's preaching the gospel, he meets these Galatians who's never heard anything about God. They serve foreign gods and they receive the gospel. They receive Christ. And then he hears about them going back to Jewish laws and roots. They just got Christ and they go back to the Jewish roots and all the, you foolish, you idiotic, you crazy Galatians. Who bewitched you? You started out in the grace and ended up in the law. What happened to you? And so many people, so many churches want to put a format to this amazing message. And why I'm telling you this is I'm reintroducing you to your Savior and your friend. I want to refresh you in how good God really is. We've come through a season. God didn't cause COVID. He didn't do that. He protected us and watched over us and and he wants to bless. This is a year of blessing and mercy. Don't let negativity envelop your heart because what you, what you believe in your heart will be exact. Don't do that. You look to God who's come to bring life and bring it in abundance. Do you understand? You are the salt of the earth. Islam is not gonna help anybody. Buddhism is not gonna help anyone. But this message of the truth, the only way and truth in life, it works, it's historically proved as being the only way, the truth. It's proved itself over and over and over as the only way. In fact, the world hate this message so much, the devil hates it so much, that Hollywood echoes constantly, they use all kinds of cussing, always our savior. I would love for them to cuss with someone else's name for a change and go, for Mohammed's sake! Buddha! They can't use the other name because there is no other name, given, whereby man can be saved. Buddha will not save you, Muhammad will not save you, but he hears your prayers and he answers you. This is going to be a wonderful year for everyone, not just for Christians. Let me tell you, Jesus said, Jesus said, when you ask, you will receive for whoever whoever asks receives not just the chosen frozen god is good and kind to everyone do you know that luke 6 verse 31 i believe it is says jesus says these words for god is kind to the wicked and ungrateful he's kind to the wicked and ungrateful he, so if he's kind to them and you his child don't bind to the lies of the devil that all the stuff's happening with you bad You've got to know in whom you believe. He's unchanged. He wants to bless you. You can call me a motivational speaker, call me whatever you like, but I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the, the gospel. That's why John said, are oh, you the one? Why, you want to hear some more negative? You want to hear some more fighting, complaining, condemnation? He's come to bring life. He's come to love and bring message. Nobody could fault him. Even the Pharisees couldn't fault him, but they couldn't stand his message either. In Nicodemus, you know what he said to him? We know that you're from God. Yeah, and what, what's happening with that? Nothing, we're too scared. What? What is wrong with you people? He, when they wanna stone him, you know what he says? He says, which of the miracles are stoning me? We're not stoning you for the miracles. They even said the miracles are done by the power of the devil. How strange that they would rather embrace their religion and their legalism before they embrace the truth and freedom. Don't you dare do that. Not in this church. We are free. We are free because Christ has made us free for freedom's sake. Do you hear what I'm saying? He loves you. He loves you. There is now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. For he was not sent to condemn but to bring life. No matter what difficulty you have, he's come to free you and to help you and bring you joy. He's a good God. You're not sitting here, you're not sitting here by accident this morning. You just happened to come here, you had nowhere else to go. God chose you. He chose you carefully. He picked you long before you even knew who he was. He picked you with all your messed upness. The devil loves to keep on telling you how bad you are because the scripture says he is the accuser he's the accuser, he's the accuser, he's always accusing you about something, and you'll get someone to accuse you too, all the time, all accusations have the root in him, Jesus said, and I don't accuse you, I accuse no one, the the father accuses no one, because he's given all the judgment to me, that's what Jesus said, and he's not accusing, he refuses, they wanted to lure him into an accusation, a woman that was caught in adultery, he said, what does the law say, the law says you must stone her, well if You have no sin and you be free. Go ahead, you've got no sin. You're free. Go ahead, stone. And he starts writing in the sand. Why is he writing in the sand? Because he's not going to condemn anybody or he's not going to accuse. So he's writing in the sand different things that they're guilty of. And they knew, looking around, how does he know that? And they began to walk away because the conviction was happening to them without him accusing. He wouldn't even accuse the accusers who were needing accusation because he's not an accuser. So he does not accuse you The devil's come to condemn. He's come to bring shame and guilt. Don't you dare prophesy. Don't you dare do this in the church. You know what a bad Christian you are. He didn't save you because you're a good Christian. He saved you because you're rotten and no no good and good for nothing. And then he made you good because of him. He's your righteousness. So when the devil comes to accuse you to God, Jesus says, "Uh, excuse me. I got him. I got him. I got him. I got him. He's mine. And God says, okay. The devil barks and gets mad. But if you belong to Jesus and the devil doesn't succeed with God, he says, they come to you. He says, don't you go to church today. You know what what you said yesterday. You know what you watched on the internet. You know what you did. And you, I better not go to church. Don't you bind to that nonsense. God loves you so much. God loves you. And let me also teach you not to be an accuser. Don't you say things to people that are accusational. Change the way you talk. Don't say, you never, you always, don't use those languages. Don't use words that are condemning or accusing. That's not the language of Jesus. Find different ways to say it. Well, I feel like this happens often. Or you can say things, but don't accuse someone. Because it will come back on you. What you sow, you'll reap. That's the thing with sowing and reaping. I must tell you Gentiles about that for a moment. Give me a moment to teach you. I'm, I always assume that, that everyone understands the Bible. Let me explain to you. My Christians explain about, talk about sowing and reaping. And it's the only place that God says he's not mocked. Because it's fact, even the unsaved know. If you, if you plant corn, you're not going to get wheat. You're going to get exactly what you're sowing. And everyone knows that if you're going to go sow corn or wheat, you're going to calculate how much harvest you want to get and then buy the seed to match that. You determine your seed by the harvest you're looking for. Everybody knows that. That's sowing and reaping. Right? So here's my difficulty with the Christians. They sow, but I don't see them expecting a harvest. I don't see them calculating a harvest or getting ready for a harvest. Why would you sow? What kind of dummy sows and doesn't expect a harvest? Oh, look, there's corn coming up. Where'd that come? Dummy, you sowed it, dude. (laughs) But listen to me carefully as someone who's walked with a little long time. That bad seed grows anywhere and comes back very fiercely good seed you've got to sow carefully and nurture it pray over it water it nurture it expect it but bad seed you can drive the highest crossover bridge in a freeway and you'll see in those cracks all these tall weeds that nobody planted nobody watered but they grow right there in the concrete bad seed you evil do unkind things say slander gossip if you judge someone it's going to come back on you so fast so sow your seeds be careful what seeds you sow but let me talk to you people talk about tithing I always some Christians get a whole difficult war about tithing it's the strangest thing for a Jew we will never talk discuss tithing it's already in our DNA if many years ago Abraham met a man called Melchizedek. He was a king and a priest, the only one we know. And for those who don't know, living in Jerusalem, he had a little temple there. Jerusalem was called Salem, where that many years ago when he lived there. And he went to go help Abraham in a, in a fight in a war. And Abraham comes back and sees the spirituality and the guidance on this man. So he begins to honor him spiritually and he begins to tithe to him. The same man who taught you faith that you so readily want to put into action, the same man introduced tithing as a spiritual act. So if you're struggling to tithe, all it tells me is you're not really hooked up spiritually yet. It shouldn't even be a question. Should be the very first thing in your mind, oh, I'm giving to God what's God's because you came with nothing, you leave with nothing, it was never yours in the first place. You can't sow your bread, you've got to sow your seed. He gives you seed to sow and he gives you bread to eat. Don't sow something you don't want anymore, that's bread, instead, it's got to no life. Sow the right seed now, listen. So you tithe and you don't have any seed or any, well, any gifts after that until you've tied. Now for us, Jews and what I'm trying to tell you is, I notice that my Gentile friends don't get the offering. they don't understand. It's not sowing, it's not reaping. When you sow you, are expecting a harvest, you're sowing for that harvest. If you want a1,000 dollars, don't sow 10. That's, 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 you've got to have miracle more than miracle faith, because it gets back tenfold, usually, so you've got to sow at least 100 to get a thousand. Mathematicals. I mean, you go to school, don't you? Right? Sowing, reap. But when it comes to offering, that's got nothing to do with that. The offering comes after your tithe. It's an act of love. How much you love God. This is how it works. Let me explain. This is the best way I can explain it to you. At Christmas time, the effort the Americans go through to buy gifts—it's the most bizarre thing. We already have a whole practice of bringing a gift receipts so they can take it back the biggest business day is not black friday but the day after christmas everyone's taking the gifts back they didn't actually want that but those that take time out to find out what someone they really love very much if you really care about someone you take great care in getting something they really want in fact i remember before amazon how mothers would fight over a toy in a store you laugh because you remember what i'm talking about because they couldn't, they wanted it for their child. Because they wanted it for that child they love so much. That's what an offering is. That you do something for the Lord because you love him and want to bless him. You don't give that gift at Christmas thinking they're going to like me afterwards or they're going to do this for me. No, you do it because you love them. When you bring an offering to God, it's an expression. And we Americans are programmed to tip. And we tip for everything, whether it's with a restaurant or now you can't even buy anything that turn the thing around to you say and must pick a tip there why am I tipping I'm just a normal store what's wrong with you people (laughs) it's gotten out of hand am I right yeah Yeah, but we're programmed to tip and we come to church and that's what we do we give an offering we call it it's a tip and I'll tell you why it's so dangerous because an offering comes from your heart as an act to the Lord It comes up like a fragrance to the Lord's nostrils and his heart when you give something to the Lord from your heart. David said, I won't give to God that which cost me nothing. I've got to feel the pain when I give this to God. I must feel that I could have done something else with this that I really wanted. I must feel the actual expense of it. I must feel it. And that's when you give to God an act, nobody's pressurizing you, not demanded of it. God's not gonna be offended at you. But when you love the Lord after you've tied. Now you're not looking to get something from God, now you bring in an offering. There's many kinds of offerings, first fruits and there's or seasonal offerings and there's thanksgiving offerings, there's so many offerings. But we as Christians bring an offering to God as an act of love and thankfulness. And God always responds. Now when you sow and reap, you can calculate your harvest. You must expect it, demand it, because that's normal. But when it comes to offering, there's no telling what God will do. No telling, because God has moved. Let me tell you how moved God is. Think of how big God is. He creates galaxies, thousands of them, thousands. He has millions of angelic beings. Yet one little Roman man, one Roman, in a a town called Caesarea, and I'll tell you about Caesarea. It's a magnificent city that Herod built for the Romans. And he's there, and the, the Bible says he gave Generously. He wasn't a Christian and he wasn't a Jew, but this great God got interested in this man because of his giving. Not because of his speaking in tongues or, or being a nice person, he was so generous that he got God's attention by giving. Just a little ways down in, the, in Joppa, there's this, one of the most prized servants and workers of the Lord that's hungry. And he, and he wants to eat, but they're cooking the food still, so he goes to the only space on top of the house to pray. And God knows this boy is praying, so he gives him a vision, but he wants to get hold. He wants him to go to Cornelius, not Cornelius to go find him. He wants this important ministry to go to Cornelius. And he won't go ordinarily, so God has to really deal with him. He doesn't send an angel to him. he gives him a vision, but to Cornelius, he sends an angel. Why? Why is he so special? Because he gave generously. Generous hearts touch God. It's not the wealthy that bless the kingdom. It's the generous. That's the one who get God's attention. You can be wealthy and not generous at all. In fact, Jesus had a experience where they gave, I don't know why I'm telling you this, is where this all is all coming from, but he gave Two large amounts of money came in in the offering. Jesus is watching them giving them. And then a woman gave all she had, and that touched the heart of Jesus. Not the large amounts, but the sacrifice, the, the generosity of her heart to give all she had, touched his heart. And I'm going to keep teaching you these things because money will always determine who you are. Jesus had 12 disciples. Do you remember that? And 11 of them came from Galilee. One came from Iscariot. His name was Judas. Now, the right person, the right person to do the books should have been Matthew. He was highly educated for that group of people he was with, and he was a tax collector. So he was seasoned with money and languages, and Jesus gives the bookkeeping to Judas. Why? Because money will expose your heart. Money will always show where you are spiritually. Because Jesus said, if you cannot be faithful with ungodly mammon, you won't be faithful with spiritual riches. And I'm telling you this because I have every right to tell you. I've lived this life, my wife will tell you, there's one thing I've lived is 40 years is faithful to do with God with money. When it comes to money, I have no problem giving. Seriously generous, reckless, do whatever he tells me, because I've lived by faith. And I say reckless because sometimes I give all I have to help someone, because God told me to. I don't want anybody to know about it. Just give it because I love him. And he's never, never let me down or failed me. I have staff in the ministry, and I don't try to get supporters all the time. I don't do any of that. I don't look for partners. I just trust. If God cannot provide, then his word's not true. And for 40 years traveling in the prophetic ministry, honestly, honestly, many of you are struggling financially, but you haven't got the breakthrough here yet in your heads yet. Money's still holding your soul. Let this year, 2023, not be that year. Let your heart be free And start expecting God Provide for you Not because you deserve it But because he said so He said so Believe what he said He's true to his word he doesn't provide for you If you deserve it He'll give you more than More than God doesn't care if you Have a lot of money He doesn't want the money To possess you Wealth is not an issue for the Lord. It's, it's where your heart is. That's what really matters. And God wants to bless you. This is a very good year. This year is going to be a year of blessing. And, and this is what the Lord told me for this church. Whatever you ask or name will be what he will reset loose in this house. This is the year for that. Don't waste it. Think carefully what you want because whatever you ask for, you'll get. And maybe you'll get what you didn't, didn't think it through well enough. So ask wisely. Do you hear what I'm saying? Solomon got a chance to ask. And he thought it through carefully what to ask. Think carefully what to ask of the Lord because he's a generous God and an enormously good provider. I'm a living testimony. There's one thing my wife and I are sure of is that God will provide for us. Am I right? Look at my wife. Stand up and wave at the people. (coughs) She's 40 pounds lighter than she was a few months ago. She she had a um, second bout of chemo treatment, that seems to have worked very well, thank God for that, Yeah, yep, don't, don't like that cancer much, yep, her name is Louisa, she has a much stronger accent than I have, if you like my accent, you must listen to hers, it's very different, yeah, we don't speak English to each other, we have a different home language from Africa, just that you know, net so. Maar but verstaan niks <laughs> Is there anyone Afrikaans speak? you speak German? No? No. German. Okay. Sorry about that. All right. So today what I'm trying to impart to you is the Lord loves you. He's merciful to you. He's kind to you. He wants to bless you. Don't you stay in that valley of negative, whiny, complaining. You're in the wrong place. Because you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Don't you be John the Baptist waiting for something from Jesus when all he wants to do is bless. Don't you wait for him to punish someone that's offending you at work or in your household. Don't you wait for God to beat him up because he sees them a lot different. He's a good, kind, merciful God. Do you understand? It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Not the wrath or anger of God. It's the goodness of God. He's a good God. Let us represent him correctly. Can you say amen to that? Yeah. Woohoo!